God's love was rejected and he was abandoned and betrayed by his people. The book of Hosea reflects to us the sadness and the sorrow that existed when God's people turned their back on him. Too often we don't put ourselves in the position of seeing how God feels when we sin. The book of Hosea, as we began two weeks ago, in the discussion of chapters 1 through 3, reflected the breaking of God's heart. How God really cared for his people, just like he cares for us today. Last week we studied chapter 4, where God took Israel to court. He presented his charge. He talked about the consequences of their sins and then explained the causes of them. This morning as we move to Hosea chapters 5 and 6, we're going to talk about what do you do in times of trouble. When a man has to face the consequences of his actions when you reap what you have sown. As we begin... Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdom, were both failing. Israel was just a little bit ahead of Judah. You know, if you look at the countries that comprise Western Europe, many of those countries several years ago were where the United States is at today. Many of those countries have decided they wanted to be completely secular, they abandoned all religion and their cathedrals became nothing more than museums. And then you go to the United States and we are going down the same path which they have fallen. And they're only just a little bit ahead of us. Israel had abandoned God and Judah was holding on to some semblance of hope. But both were failing their sins would have some consequences. In fact, some very hard ones. They would have to see the consequences of their actions to fully appreciate how badly they had hurt God. In Proverbs thirteen fifteen, Solomon says, Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful, the way of the transgressor is hard. It's going to be a tough life for those who abandon God. How should they have reacted to God's charge against them in chapter 4? We all know what the answer of that should be. They should have repented and come back to God, pouring out their heart and saying, God, I am so sorry for hurting you because I have been unfaithful to you, but I want to do what is right. But the reality is, how did they react? How did they react to the charge of God? Well, this morning, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at they tried to change the authority. If you don't like the law that you live under, if you don't like the law that you are being placed in regards to, what do you do? Well, I'll just go find another. We'll change our laws. Number two, they call for their allies. They call for those whom they thought could help them in their controversy with God. 
And then number three, we're going to look at their conditional acceptance. After they were finally put to the nth degree, they said, Okay, God, we'll accept your terms. We know what we need to do. But then they went back on it. Let's look beginning with chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. If you'll read with me as you read in your own Bible, Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud in Beth-Avon. Look behind you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precept. Now, let's look at this for just a moment. I have a point that I want to make, but I do have to point out to you that there is a historical background behind these words. You have to remember that God is addressing a nation through the prophet Hosea. He's addressing the northern kingdom, which we often call Israel. Frequently they were known by their dominant tribe, Ephraim. And he was also addressing to some degree the failures that were going on among Judah. There were skirmishes between Israel and Judah. Just like two feuding brothers who can't get along, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom were at odds with one another quite frequently. The cities that are mentioned, Gibeah, Ramah, and Bethel, these are all border cities that were a part of the skirmishes between the two uh, nations. There were landmarks that marked each of those tribes. If you'll remember, when the children of Israel entered the promised land led by Joshua, God had each of those tribes to have their own prescribed area. And it was marked off by landmarks. Moses made it clear when he talked about these prescribed territories in Deuteronomy chapter 19 and chapter 27. Very simple. He said, you shall not remove your neighbor's landmark which the men of old have set in your inheritance which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. God had boundaries set between each of the tribes and even among the tribes each of the people. Chapter 27, verse 17. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark and all the people shall say amen. A landmark is just like a property marker. One of the things that my grandfather used to say when we were little kids is always have a clear marker of your property so there will be no dispute. There were markers between people's property, but some people would go and move that marker. Just imagine, here's a man who owns a field, and he decides, I want some more. So what he does, he moves a landmark from here all the way to the back, and he says, now I have more territory. That's theft. That's stealing. When Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs in 22, 28, he says, do not remove the ancient landmark 
which your fathers have set. Chapter 23, verse 10, Do not remove the ancient landmark, nor enter the fields of the fatherless. You don't take something that doesn't belong to you. Now, you take that with understanding he's using it in a figurative sense. God has set landmarks in his word. These landmarks prescribe what a person should do and should not do. But there are always people who are willing to come along and make those changes. When he talks about their willing to walk after a human precept, he's very likely referring to what Jeroboam did. You'll remember when Solomon passed on, his son Rehoboam could have been the king over all of them, but he was not. He refused the directions given by the older men, made it tough on the northern tribes, and they rebelled and followed after Jeroboam. Jeroboam knew that if the people went back to Jerusalem to worship, that their hearts would go back there. But he said, we've got to do something different. And so in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28, Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin for the people to went up to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on every high place or on the high places and priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. You see, Jeroboam said, Okay, if it's too tough for you, it may not work for you to go to Jerusalem. I'll create you another way to worship. Idolatry began in earnest among the people of God to worship calves and other things. This temptation continued throughout the Old Testament, even into the New Testament times. People often feel like, well, if we don't like the law that we have, we'll change it. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 says, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men and, not accor- and according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Do you realize that today we have people who want to remove the landmarks in our country? Do you know what God teaches about the value of every individual life that is sacred and should be protected? And yet in our country there are lawmakers who would say, it's all right to kill a baby as long as it's in its mother's womb. There are people who have decided in their own minds that God's law for this call shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. They've decided that they're going to change the law to say that two men can get married or two women can get married. Do you understand the thought processes of what's going on among the children of Israel? They're saying let's change the authority. And that's taken place among us. 
The authority has changed from recognizing God is sovereign, God is over us all, to saying that man is over us all. Paul told Titus, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. You can't accept two masters here. When people do not like the message, they will find someone who will teach it like they want it. When Paul was writing Timothy, that young preacher, he said to him, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine because according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers and they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And we have seen that take place over and over again. But the second thing that you observe that the children of Israel are doing is they're calling for their allies. Now look with me at verses 12 through 15. Therefore I will be to Ephraim like a moth and to the house of Judah like rottenness. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria to King Jerob. Yet he cannot cure you nor heal you of your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I Even I will tear them and go away and I will take away them away and no one shall rescue. I will again return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and they will seek my face and the affliction they will earnestly seek me. God said, I am going to put a punishment on them and they're going to run to other people and ask other people to help them. But it's not going to work. Experiencing the judgment of God, Israel and Judah both turned to one of their closest allies. That was Assyria. You know, for us, many of these names of these nations don't appear to have a whole lot of, of meaning. But you can imagine if someone were to attack us in the United States and we needed help, we would turn to our allies to help us. England, it's time for you to come and help us. France, we want you to come and help. We'd probably look to our nearer neighbors, to Canada, and say, we need your help as well. The truth is they were looking to their human allies. You can see that repeatedly in the book of Hosea. Chapter 7, verse 11. Ephraim is like a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. Chapter 8, verse 9. They've gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey by itself. Ephraim has hired lovers. Chapter 14, verse 3. Assyria will not save us. And later, you know what happened? They called Assyria, come help us, come help us. And here's what you read in 2 Kings 15. Pul, king of Assyria, came against the land, and Manahim gave Pul a thousand talents of silver that he might be with him to strengthen the kingdom under his control. And Manahim exacted the money from Israel, from, every, from all the very wealthy, from every man, 50 shekels of silver to give the king of Assyria so the king of Assyria turned back and did not stay in the land. 
Notice that last phrase there. I need your help. I need your help. Okay, pay up. He paid it, and that was the only way he could get him to leave his land after he paid. That's Israel, the northern kingdom. One chapter later, 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 5 through 9. We read that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, king, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to make war, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. Drop down to verse 7. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. He's calling, I need your help, I need your help. What you going to pay me? Assyria doesn't come for free. My hand stuck out. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord. He took God's treasury and gave it. And then all the treasuries from the king's house. You see, when you call for your allies, there's always going to be a payback. You see who they're calling. Men look to other men in times of trouble. Isaiah pictured it very well in Isaiah chapters 30 and 31. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who ask counsel but not of me, who devise plans but not by my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt and have asked, not asked my advice to strengthen themselves. You see, the problem is they're going to Egypt and they're asking for Egypt's help there. Chapter 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because there are many and horsemen because they're very strong. We need allies. We need help. But verse 3, the Egyptians are men and not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit. The question is what should they have done and what did they do? What they should have done was to call to God and say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. What did they do? They didn't call God. They called their powerful neighbors. Proverbs 11:21 says, Though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished. There's no nation nor group of nations that can defeat the powers of God. Well, to whom would you turn if you find yourself in a time of trouble? Would you turn to the wise? Would you turn to the rich? Would you turn to the powerful? Or would you turn to Almighty God? Now, I want to bring the third part of this lesson together here. When you move to chapter 6, Hosea looks at the children of Israel. And what he points out in verses 1 through 3 is they recognize what it is they need to do to fix the problem. Read with me verses 1 through 3. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he is torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Pause with me for just a second here. Do you remember when we studied last week one of the causes 
Hosea 4 verse 6, For my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They're saying, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. He is going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the lane, like the ladder in the former rain to the earth. They know what they need to do. But when you get to verses 4 through 6, we just see how fickle their faithfulness really is. You see, they know what they need to do, but what are they going to do? Oh, Ephraim, what shall I do to you? Oh, Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud. And like the early dew, it goes away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. I want you to notice specifically verse 4 with me. Your faithfulness is like a morning cloud. If you don't know what a morning cloud is, it's fog. And it's like the early dew. You go out early in the morning and the grass is wet. But the sun comes out, the fog burns off, the dew burns off. You see, their faithfulness did not last. Folks, how many times have you seen somebody come forward in a service and say, I want to be baptized, I want to be a faithful Christian? And you say, oh, how great and wonderful that is. And then next week, where, where are they? I don't know. Where did they go? Some people's devotion, loyalty, faithfulness doesn't last till their hair gets dry. I'm sad to say that. But that's reality with a lot of people. With Israel and with Judah, they knew what they needed to do. They said, all right, God, the punishment has been so bad. I know what I need to do. I need to correct my life, but it doesn't last. And then he talks about people who would prefer to go ahead and sin and then say, I can be forgiven of that. I can somehow know that I'm going to sin and then I'll offer the sacrifice later. You've heard the old phrase, it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. People know they're going to make somebody mad. They know they're going to violate the law. But I'll, I'll, I'll just handle it when it comes. It reminds me so much of old Pharaoh. You remember Moses going before Pharaoh and saying, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, won't do it. God brings a plague. Pharaoh says, oh, that's terrible. I hate it. I'll let you go. When the plague leaves, Pharaoh changes his mind. One great illustration is found in Exodus chapter 8, the frogs. You know about the frogs. They were everywhere. They were in the bed. They were in the food. 
you know, frogs everywhere. Moses said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying, when I shall intercede for you, for your servants, for your people, to destroy the frogs from you, your houses, that they remain in the river only. That's, the frogs are going to go back, back to the river. Verse 15, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. You see people who are only willing to do things when the trouble is there. Folks, I can't tell you how many times people have come to the office and say, I need to talk to you, crying. We've got some tragedy in our family. Maybe a car accident. Maybe a death. Maybe an extreme sickness. Well, if the Lord will just help us get out of this, I guarantee you I'll be at church every service. And then the person gets better. The trouble passes. And they're like Pharaoh. Saul represents one of those people who thought, I'll do what I want to do and then I'll offer God a sacrifice and God will take it. God had told him to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. But he gets down there and there's some good looking stuff. And he wants to be like other kings. He wants to bring back as a prize the king he's destroyed. And so he's going to bring back King Agag. Samuel arrives. Saul says, I have performed the word of the Lord. Samuel then says, well, what's the lowing of the oxen I hear? Um... Well, the people brought back. I thought you were in charge, Saul. I thought you had done this. Well, you know the people, Lord. They, they want to do this. They want to do that. And listen to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Samuel's point to Saul is what God really wants you to do is to do what's right to start with and not do what's wrong and then say, oh, I'll, I'll sacrifice later. Many times, not always, but many times, the source of our own suffering is our own sin. The choices that we make. Israel and Judah had broken God's heart. And God said, okay, I will allow you to suffer so that you can see the gravity of your sins. Because God wants a genuinely contrite people who have genuine repentance in their heart. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit.
Psalm 51:17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. God's heart has been broken. And God wants us to see the gravity of what we have done to Him and respond with true, genuine repentance. God calls us back to Himself for our own good. That's where real joy, real happiness, and real goodness will be found. This morning... If you are not a Christian, this past Wednesday evening we saw two great young men make the decision to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no greater privilege that you enjoy in life than to see someone become a child of God. We have those in our audience this morning who need to do the same thing. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're sorry for your sins. You've got a change of mind. And you're willing to confess your faith in Christ. Why not come forward during the invitation song to be baptized? And if you're a child of God and your life has been breaking God's heart, make a change. And come as we stand and sing.